Hello, and welcome to the AAMFT podcast. Your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Eli, back with you on the AAMFT podcast the latest and greatest in all things systemic therapy. And today we're doing a deeper dive into one of our most requested topics. How do you work with blended families, both on the couple and co-parental dynamics and in kind of integrating the kids into that life? You know, that term blended is a misnomer as our our guest, Dr. Patricia Pepper now will tell us today because even the best families have a hard time doing this task. Patricia Papernell is widely recognized as one of the world's foremost experts on blended family. She's now in her fourth decade of working with, learning about, and teaching others about step-family dynamics. She's the 2017 recipient of the Award for Distinguished Contribution to Family Psychology uh, from the APA's Couple and Family Therapy Division. Dr. Papernell is a skilled and highly engaging presenter, providing training and consultation all over the U.S. and internationally to clinicians, as well as guidance counselors, pediatricians, nurses, clergy, lawyers, and judges. She really has kind of permeated to other systems and really spread this necessary knowledge about step-family dynamics. She's now the, uh, the director of the Institute for Step-Family Education, and she maintains a private practice in Hudson, Massachusetts, dividing her time between clinical practice, supervision, and training. I learned so much in this interview, and we'll be back, and I'll tell you where you can find some of these great resources that Dr. Papernow talks about. Okay, Dr. Patricia Papernow, welcome to the AAMFT podcast. This is one of our most requested topics, working with step families. And the, the first question is always, and people have either read your books or maybe seen uh, one of your many national media appearances, but how did you get interested in working with this population to start with? Kind of your origin story, if you will. That's a great question. I was married, to, I married my, in my first marriage, I married a guy with two kids they were five and nine when I met them. And when it was time to do my dissertation, I was allowed to do a qualitative dissertation. I didn't have to do statistics. So I went out and interviewed step-parents. Uh, and that was my dissertation, Stages of Development and Becoming a Step-Family, which became my first book. What was cool was that it was like late 1970s. For a dissertation, you have to do a literature review. There was nothing to read almost nothing to read at that time. Now it's completely overwhelming. You went for resources yourself and there weren't any out there. So you developed your own. What were the biggest takeaways? This also parallels, you know, uh, in the mid seventies, divorce uh, surpassing death is the most common endpoint to marriage. So obviously uh, this idea of step families became very prominent at about the time you started your family. Uh, What, uh, 
what did you learn from those qualitative interviews that kind of set the, your career in motion? Well, the first thing is that how fundamentally different a stepfamily is from a first-time family. I could see that in my own family, my stepkids were going from 5 to 8 and 9 to 12, and that something was changing developmentally about them, but also something was changing in my stepfamily developmentally. And that was really what got me curious, what changes over time in a stepfamily. And I suppose the real bottom line of that first book uh, was that things change a lot over time in a step family, especially if things are going well. You see the term step blended, which do you prefer and why? You know, that language blended family is the language that we use. Uh, so I always use it. However, the dilemma is that it sets us up for a f- something that looks like and feels like a first-time family. And step families are really quite different. But I think it captures the wish, the longing that we all have, that we would become one. So I I don't correct people when they use blended family, but I always put it in quotes. And you'll notice on my third book, it's in quotes. And when I teach workshops, I often use the language, but I put blended family in quotes. Well, many of our listeners today, uh, they are working with these type of systems in a context of family therapy or couple therapy. So we look forward for you sharing a lot of tips and we'll talk about the new book as well, the the step family handbook. But what do you think are the biggest changes in working with these types of blended family systems between now and when you started in the profession? I think what's sad is what hasn't changed. Uh, What has changed is that the research has grown exponentially. When I went to write my second book in 2010 or so, 2009 when I started it, I thought I'd been keeping up with the research. My first book came out in the early 90s. In fact, I was way behind. The research has exploded. It's become ever more sophisticated. However, uh, clinicians don't read the research. uh, And in those few decades, since I wrote my book, only two clinical books have written been written about step families, mine and Scott Browning's. That's it for a population. Forty-two percent of Americans have a close step family relationship, and as I said at the top, it's a fundamentally different system. So what hasn't changed is an understanding in the general public that it's a a fundamentally different system. What has changed is there's a lot of research and we have social media now. So the amount of uh, Twitter and blogs and all of those kinds of things on social media has gone way up. But a lot of them are written by unhappy step parents, stepmothers especially. And a lot of the guidance, I put quotes around guidance, is misleading and sometimes devastating. So what have we learned from the research? Because many listeners um, and many of our frontline couple and family therapists won't ever go on or in graduate school, will never go on to create research of their own, but they're kind of research-informed clinicians. So knowing what to distill down, one of another reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is both in your writing and presentation style, you uh, distill very, you know, complex research findings down into very useful clinical tidbits that both clinicians and families can use. So tell us what, uh, what have we learned uh, from the research? That's uh, Thanks for the compliment because it's something I really try hard to do. Uh, what we've learned from the research 
is a couple of things. The first is that the, quote, older research uh, was what we called deficit comparison. We were comparing groups of kids from step families and kids from first-time families and looking for how first-time families are better than step families and single-parent families. What we find over the years, though, as the research gets more sophisticated is that what makes the difference for kids is not the family structure. It's not first-time family, step-family, single-parent family. It's much more family process. What's the quality of parenting? What's the level of tension and conflict between the adults? Those two things make much more difference in kid outcomes than the family structure. Uh, And we've also learned a few things about what works and what doesn't in a step-family. One really critical thing that couple and family therapists need to know is that parenting in a step family is different from parenting in a first time family. The research shows us very clearly the parent needs to retain the parenting, the discipline part of parenting until or unless stepkids have a trusting, caring relationship with their step-parent. And sometimes that's forever. There are many healthy step-families where step-parents do not have a disciplinary role. I think we see this a lot where you get a referral and the step-parent wants to be involved. Maybe they've had children before, maybe they haven't, but they jump into that role too soon. So if they should not be, if, if what you're, if we say the research and clinical wisdom says they should not be the heavy, they should not be enforcing the rules, what should a new step-parent, what should their role be with the children? For step-parents, what I say is, Connection rather than correction. Relationships, not rules. Concentrate on getting to know your stepkids. Concentrate more on being a friend or an uncle or an aunt. Uh, and get to know the, the uh, get to know stepkids. But let's back up and notice that kids are not always very welcoming of step parents, and that can make it awfully difficult. Right, and the expectation. Um you know, meeting them where they're at, their developmental age or stage, or also knowing if the expectation, and that's why the blended is somewhat a misnomer, because as you said, it's more aspirational than a reality. Sometimes these families never blend, or the children aren't at a stage, no matter how hard the step-parent is is trying. How do you work with a ambivalent or uh, hesitant stepchild? Well, let's back up and try to understand where kids are coming from, because I think the important, one of the important things to know is that step families begin in such a different way from a first-time family. A first-time family begins with a couple, and first-time couples usually have some time together to begin to deepen their attachment, their connection with each other, and to begin to develop some ways of doing things together some rhythms, some understandings, even some familiarity with I don't like how you load the dishwasher and you don't like how I load the dishwasher. And by the time kid, a first kid comes in, some of that is background. It's not foreground. When a first time family breaks up, uh, the we have two single parent families whether the other parent is present or not that parent remains in the child's heart and mind so a step family begins with the strongest attachment between parents and children and also with the agreements about what's a mess what's allowed noise 
what's irritating and what's fun, those agreements in a first in a, in a step family lie between parents and children, and kids enter as uh, step parents enter as outsiders to that first-time family system. They also enter as outsiders to the ex-spouse relationship. So that makes step parents stuck outsiders and parents stuck insiders. And that means every time a child enters the room or the conversation, parents and step parents have a fundamentally different experience of that kid. The kid turns, kids need parents, not step parents. So kids often turn towards their parent and step parents get left out over and over and over again. And that's we, a tough position. Yes, it is. Um, it's it's a, it's a, an enviable position. Also, the the idea of the ex spouse. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Is sometimes when we think about doing the work, you know, we have the primary parent, the step parent, and any children um, from each side. How important is getting that ex spouse? on board in order to ease this transition and adjustment we're talking about? It's really primary. It's a really great uh, question. The research is that it's not divorce that's the most robust predictor of children's well-being. It's the level of tension between their parents and between the adults in their lives. And even moderate tension between adults impacts kids' attention. It impacts their academic skills uh, and production and it impacts their immune systems. So the one of the hard realities of becoming a step family is that your family does not end at your front door and begin there. Your family includes another parent, alive or dead, lovely or not lovely, who is the child's other parent. And finding a way to work collaboratively with that other parent is really critical for kids' well-being. But the entry of a step-parent, particularly a stepmother for a mother, can be can often raise the tension in that relationship. I have a couple presenting, and maybe the presenting problem is one of the stepchildren. They're acting out. They're just not blending. The identified patient is usually one, or sometimes a family could come in and talk about the whole dynamic. How do you go about talking about building a limited partnership with that ex-spouse and that co-parent in a way that is not threatening to the new spouse or the step-parent? Yeah, well, you've got a couple of different things embedded in that question. One is, how do we understand what's happening with kids, um, which we started on a bit ago and we should come back to. Um, the other is, how do you begin to, div- to build uh, respect and um, ease if you're a step-parent coming in? The first thing is, uh, try not to compete. It's so hard not to. Step parents want to be liked. We all want to be liked. So it's easy, especially way early on, for step parents to charge in and really want to be close to kids. And if kids are available, that's great. Except uh, be aware, especially if you're in the presence of the ex spouse, of uh, how shall I say it? Stepping back a little bit in the presence of the ex spouse of allowing the uh, co-parents, which are the two parents, not the step-parent, especially early on, to make the major decisions. And that's tough. That's tough for step-parents. You're schlepping kids, you're washing dishes, often you're contributing financially to that household, and you're a little bit outside. And outsiders, it's, it's, not, a fun, it's not a fun position. Divorced spouses... 
Um, they don't have to be best friends, but if they're able to work together in the best interest of the children, that's a much better indicator, as we were saying, than those that are not. It becomes much more challenging if uh, you're the child and you know that your primary parent, let's say in this case, your mother is not a pr- an approval of your father and your father's new wife. So um, how do you work with a more conflictual divorced co-parent dynamic where maybe that um, ex-spouse is not really willing uh, to give space or credibility to the new step-parent, even if that step-parent is respectful of that person's position. Exactly. And I think one of the things you're touching in is is the challenges that kids bring to step-families. Step-families are really different for kids than first-time families. Kids come into first-time families hardwired to care about both their parents and vice versa. Kids come into step-families very differently. You know, the new couple is a wonderful gain, a thrill for, for the adults if you've been alone for a while or you've had a bad marriage. For kids, the new couple is often a loss. And that's before we even talk about another parent in the system. Because, you know, what happens when people fall in love? They turn towards each other. And they Google at each other. And kids often feel left by that. Not because parents mean to leave their kids, but because the parent has turned away a little bit towards somebody that they are falling in love with in a different way. You know, parents who've been around for a long time aren't so gaga about each other. New step couples are very gaga about each other. So let's start with that, that for the kid, the new couple may be a loss. And the second thing for kids is that the entry of a step-parent makes a loyalty bind. And a loyalty bind is if I care about my step-parent, I'm disloyal to my parent of of the same sex. And this is particularly true with mothers and stepmothers, but also fathers and stepfathers. And those loyalty binds seem to be almost genetic. Kids feel them even when it's a collaborative uh, couple uh, divorce. However... If that other parent, as you were just saying, if that other parent on uh, in the other household is having a hard time and is either directly or indirectly uh, undermining, that puts the, makes the loyalty bind incredibly intense for kids. And for a child in a loyalty bind, moving towards a step-parent means I am disloyal to my parent, and that child may be unavailable to the step-parent. And oftentimes, there are more if there's more than one kid, a child who is uh, in a tighter loyalty bind is less inv- available, and there may be another child who has less of a loyalty bind who's more available. So I say to step-parents, start with the ones who are available, And if you can, let the ones who are less available, give them some space. Um, And one of the things that I say to couples is, you know, in our first time family model, we say if the couple is good, the kids are good. In step families, it turns out if the couple is very close, kids actually do more poorly. And we think that's because parents get pulled away from parenting. So in step families, it's both and, not either or. Yes, the vulnerable couple relationship needs time alone without kids. And parents and children really need time alone together without the step parent. Parents really do need time to turn towards their kids without feeling divided between parents and uh, between step parents and kids. And that seems to help kids with both losses and loyalty binds. Wow, you said so much good stuff there. So this idea of the loyalty bond, it seems like there is 
there's a lot of normalizing that needs to be done and psychoeducation first in the idea that if you're a, a child and you've seen your parent in a dysfunctional relationship or not expressing love or affection and now they're in a uh, a, a new relationship where they are showing it. That is weird for the kid. Uh, it is uh, weird. Yeah. And they're not used to seeing their uh, parent that way or sharing uh, their parent. And then the loyalty bind, even if you're a child listening to you, if, even if you like your step parent, it's still this idea that becoming close to my step parent, I'm letting my other biological parent down, even if both. Uh, co-parents, divorced spouses uh, get along the best answers to a child, that loyalty bind is still there. It can be. So how do you help um, in normalizing this? How do you help both parental subsystem or parent, step-parent, and then the children? How do you kind of operationalize that loyalty bind and help help both parts of the system with that? That's a great question. The first thing is for the uh, step-couple, do spend some time alone together without kids and step parent turn away and go do something fun go do something where you're the insider and people look at you and appreciate you outside the house and for some people that feels um not being family-like it may not be first-time family-like but it sure helps in a step family and as i said earlier for parent and child to spend some time alone together without the step parent the other thing is that Um, I teach anybody who will listen to to do what I call a loyalty bind talk. So a loyalty bind talk is, you know, you have a mom and a stepmom, and that can be confusing for some kids. And if it's a teen, I suggest, since teens like to be in the know, I suggest that you say, you might already know this, but just so you know that I know, um, some for some kids it can be confusing to have a mom and a stepmom. First thing I want you to know is your mom has a permanent place in your heart, like the mountains, like the sun. She will always be there. Second thing I want you to know is I love Janie. I brought her into the family, but you don't know her, you don't love her, and you don't have to love her. But what I want you to know is even if you come to like or care about Janie your stepmom, she will be in a different place in your heart because it turns out that humans have really, really big hearts. So that permanent place for your mom will always be there. And if you come to care about Janie, that will be a different place in your heart. Now, what I want you to know about loyalty bind talks is they will be more helpful to a kid who's in a less tight loyalty bind. For kids who are in a very tight loyalty bind, sometimes making a relationship with a step-parent takes an awfully long time. And uh, that can be helpful to both parents and step-parents to know about. But what I want step-couples to know is that being an outsider is painful. It is painful for step-parents. If you've ever been an outsider in in your own life, if you've ever been up close where somebody close to you turned away from you over and over again, it's very painful. Outsiders feel rejected. They feel invisible. They often feel jealous. And what the parent can do for the step-parent is to turn and put your arms around that step-parent. Not in front of kids. It's not helpful for kids, for step step couples to be physical in front of them. It intensifies their losses and loyalty binds. But away from kids... Step parents need a lot of extra hugs if kids are struggling and distant. 
um, beautifully said, and you could kind of cut that snippet out and repeat it uh, to your clients, and those would be the exact words to normalize those those binds. And I, I think another thing that presents itself is maybe you actually like, if you're the child, you like your step-parent, and, and, but what you don't like is your new step-siblings, because it's not like... Uh, the Brady Bunch is we've seen. So I want you to shift now. What does the research tell us about in your like in your um, situation where you did not have your own children and you married uh, the man that had two children versus uh, families where there are children on both sides? So you're not only merging the step parent to the children, you're merging two sets of, of siblings. What what are the clinically and research wise? What do we know about that? Um, we're really just beginning to learn more about that. But what we do know is that step step siblings are sometimes extra close and sometimes extra di- distant. So it's another place where that language of merging and blending is not so helpful. It sets up the it, it describes the wish that we all have that these kids would get along like the Brady Bunch. But oftentimes the kids didn't choose each other. Imagine if I said to you, okay. Uh, I've just chosen this guy to be your friend and you're going to be close and you're going to share a room and you're going to love each other. I don't think you'd be too thrilled, right? So we have to remember that kids need to choose their own friends and uh, they aren't often thrilled to have new step-siblings. So what I say about step-siblings, first of all, is go slow, take it a step at a time. If kids have trouble with each other, do what you can to separate them. Don't force them together. And generally, again, parents discipline their own kids, not each other's kids. And uh, we do need to make a couple of rules for uh, safety and civility. Uh, but this is not a, and, and this is not a time when we want to let the kids work it out. It's not fair to the kids. We foisted these kids on each other. So a couple of rules for safety and civility are really, really important in bringing step-sips together. Now, ideally, a, a family system like this, a blended family, a step-family, would talk about these things before the merger. However, as you know and I know, that that doesn't always happen. And then you are presented uh, with a call, as many of our listeners and frontline clinicians out there, where, again, there is chaos in the home. So let's talk about structuring uh, the therapy or the treatment. If I get a call and there is the child identified problem or the identified patient, um, how do you suggest staging this? Do I want to meet with the couple first? Do I want to see the whole family together? What are your tips for um, staging the treatment? The first thing to know is that uh, in step working with step families, you almost never want to have the whole family together right away. And the reason is that in a step family, each subsystem is in competition with the other. As uh, we were talking earlier, when dad, if we had, say, dad and stepmom, dad turns towards stepmom, kids feel uh, a sense of loss. If dad turns away from stepmom towards kids, stepmom feels a sense of loss. If we're sitting in a family session and a child says, I hate my stepmom, that child needs dad or mom to turn towards them and say, boy, sounds like you're having a hard time. But what does the step parent need? The step parent wants their partner to step up and say, quit it. 
Don't be mean to your step-parent. So the need of the couple and the need of the parent-child system are in conflict. Much, much better to start in subsystems. Start with the couple. If the kid is the identified patient and you're a child therapist, you can start with the parent or the couple and uh, the child sometimes separately. Um, But uh, oftentimes it makes sense to start with the couple to find out how much they understand what they've walked into and what they get about what's what's going to work and what they don't get, what uh, guidance they need in terms of psychoeducation, how they're doing interpersonally, are they able to handle the multiple differences that come up, has the step-parent stepped into discipline? Very, very often when a kid is struggling, that's the first thing to look at. Has the step-parent stepped prematurely into discipline? And if we can help the step-parent back off, sometimes that really helps. Uh, How much one-to-one time is the parent and child uh, having together? If we can up that, sometimes that really helps. So you have to think systemically. You have to have in your mind a sense of all of the different pulls and pushes in this system and how it impacts each person. But you're going to be working in subsystems, usually the couple and the parent-child first. And when those relationships are in good shape, um, uh, uh, step-siblings and half-siblings, and when all of those are in better shape, then you can bring the family together. And notice that step-parent and child, that relationship was not chosen. And oftentimes, I save that relationship for last, um, making sure that the couple and the parent-child relationship attachment is strong first. Oh, it makes sense. You want to have a parallel process in the room to what you do at home. So much like you said earlier, you'd want to have the uh, primary parent and step-parent together, not only to talk about how to protect their time as a couple, but also how the... Um, primary parents should take the front role uh, and even an involved step parent should not be, as you were saying, should not be the heavy, should not be the enforcer. So to create that space and then to have time with the primary parent and their children to solidify that bond. Um, and then much like you would not force the interaction between a step parent and a child outside of the room, you shouldn't do that in the therapy room either. That really makes a good sense. Another question we get asked a lot. So this is another flavor on this. And I don't know in your own um, family situation as you um, had your own blended family to supplied or not, but work with lots of family systems where there are stepchildren and then the parent, uh, primary parent and step parent will have their own child, which brings up a whole nother set of emotions and feelings, both for the parents and the children. I wonder if you could speak a little about that dynamic and how that is similar or different to what we've talked about. Boy, that's something we're just beginning to explore. Uh, There was a a study several decades ago by Larry Ganong and Marilyn Coleman, who were some of the original uh, and most prolific researchers in this area. They called it the concrete baby study. And they called it that because the new baby is supposed to cement the family together. What they found is in about half step families, a new baby cements the family together. And in about half step families, the new baby actually made uh, divisions in the family. So let's think that through. In the families where the child brought the family together, everybody fell in love with the kid and that was wonderful. That's what everybody hoped for. In the families where there was a division, the new child, uh, you know what parents are like with a new baby, they're gaga. If you have a step parent, 
step-parent's going to be much, much more engaged with this new child than with his or her own stepchildren. And it really highlights the, uh, the uh, Mavis Heathering calls its ownness. Its parents feel differently about their own children than other adults do, and children feel differently about their own parents than, uh, than they do about other adults. So when a step-parent has their own child, uh, the stepkids sometimes feel kind of uh, pushed out, not important, um, and especially for kids who are coming in and out, kids who have maybe half-time or part-time in another household, um, they're coming in, uh, the kids are coming in as outsiders to this new relationship, not only between the step-parent and this new child, between their parent and this new child. Your books, the, the original one that you referenced that I remember reading is really a, a gold standard in how to work with these systems, becoming a step family, and then later surviving and thriving in step family relationships. Your new book, uh, The Step Family Handbook, if I'm a listener out there and I've been intrigued by what you've said and all the, your helpful tips, what can I get in The Step Family Handbook? Well, let's back up. The second book, Surviving and Thriving in Stepfamily Relationships, is really the is much more focused on stepfamilies than the new book, even despite its titles. And that book is written for both helping professionals and people in stepfamilies. So uh, if you need the citations there in that book, and if you need real direct, clear uh, sense of how to work with step couples and individuals in step families. That's the second book, Surviving and Thriving. The third book, The Step Family Handbook, the subtitle is From Dating to Getting Serious to Forming a Blended Family, in quotes. The, the Step Family Handbook is written for the general public, and it's uh, written with uh, my co-author, Karen Benal. Karen is a post-divorce co-parenting coach. So as you can hear by the title, that book pays much more attention to the early stages of dating and getting serious than surviving and thriving uh, did. It has almost nothing direct for uh, helping professionals, but it gives a really good map for uh, people in step families and people who are just post-divorce or just starting to date or just getting serious about step by step by step how you move from dating to getting serious to forming a blended With the family. idea that prevention is the best form of intervention. So if I know these things from the get-go, uh, it helps me be proactive as I kind of start dating and think about kind of blending families. Uh, you've given so many helpful tips. What else do you think our listeners, again, frontline clinicians working with these systems should know that you haven't mentioned? Well, let me go back to the insider-outsider experience. If you're working with a step couple, one of the major challenges that this structure creates, as I said earlier, is that it places step parents as outsiders over and over again, and it places parents as insiders over and over again. These positions have powerful feelings in humans. Uh, Stephen Porges says, we are neuroceptively wired to expect people close to us to turn towards us. And parents, if they are good parents, have to turn away over and over again, away from their sweeties to their kids. Feeling left out is painful. And when you are sitting with a couple, you're going to have a step parent who's feeling left out over and over again. You're going to have a parent 
who's stuck inside and what's it like to be a stuck insider i turn to my sweetie my kid's unhappy i turn to my kid my uh, sweetie's unhappy i try to keep peace with my ex-spouse and my sweetie's unhappy insiders often feel torn and anxious and inadequate like you're in the middle of a tug of war exactly and as a couples therapist one of the first things you often need to do is to slow down, first of all, on the psychoeducational level, to slow down and normalize that. You're having this problem not because you don't love each other. It's because you're in a step couple. And let me let me lay that out for you. And then the next thing that a couple therapist often needs to do is to help this couple really hear each other. It's easy to empathize when you're standing in the same position with your arms around each other, looking at the same thing and feeling the same way. It's really hard to empathize uh, when you're on opposite sides of a canyon, which is what being in a step family is like. So it's important to know that that's probably going to be a challenge that you will see over and over and over again uh, over the life of a step family. And that couple therapists really need to make it possible for uh, parents to understand what it's like to be left out and step parents to understand what it's like to be torn. Yeah, wonderful. Because even if you love each other as a couple, inherent to the this this arrangement in the blended family is this insider-outsider role. And even if you're empathic, initially it's probably hard to be empathic to that other position. Well, especially, you know, I'm the parent, My, I'm, uh, you're the step-parent, you finally have a moment alone with me, I'm giving you my full attention for the first time in maybe uh, several hours or several days, my kid uh, uh, gets off the bus, she has either made the soccer team or not made the soccer team, she bursts in the door, and who does she want to tell? She wants to tell me, her parent. She comes in saying, mommy, 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 I turn, I'm a good parent, I turn to my kid, and you, the step-parent, are left out over and over and over and over again. And uh, that that's how step-families function over and over and over again, and it's tough. I have two more questions, and one is, I mean, you have been working with this population really since in inception, your whole career, where do you see the field going, working with step families, uh, number one? And then number two, your own professional legacy. Um, what do you have left as far as in the next part of your career? And, and how do you, I mean, these are larger questions, but how do you want to be remembered uh, in the field for your contributions? You know, I think one of, I'm almost 73, and one of the hard things is that my husband, who's been retired for many, many years, would like me to retire, but I can't. And one of the reasons I can't is this stuff is still not taught in most programs. You're unusual that you know this stuff. Uh, you know, 42% of Americans have a close step relationship. I stand in front of 200 therapists and say, how many of you have had any training in step family dynamics other than the end of a session on divorce? And three people raise their hands. So <laughs> that that has to change. And it's wonderful that you're doing this podcast. Um, so that's, that's um you know, I have to keep teaching and, and and I'm really, really, really committed to handing this on. Um, that's really sort of the uh, focus in this part of my life. I don't take new clinical referrals any longer, but I'll do consultation with anybody anywhere to pass this on. 
The other thing that we haven't talked about yet is that the rate of divorce in the United States has gone down and evened out except over 50, where the rate doubled between 1990 and 2010. So we have something we call gray divorce. Um, and when you have gray divorce, you have gray recoupling. So there are a lot increasing numbers of late life recouplers. And the fantasy is the dog is dead. The kids are out of the house and it's just us. When I teach this, I put up a slide of, you know, a 66 year old and a, you know, 58 year old and just the two of them. And then I put up a slide of a genogram with all of the generations and all the lines going between all of the generations, because the truth is it's not just us. And it turns out that late life recouplers face many of the same challenges that early, earlier life uh, recouplers have. Even with their adult children. Uh, with their adult children. Adult children feel devastated when their parents divorce sometimes. Adult children don't want to share their parents any more than younger children do. And adult children need one-to-one time with their parents, just like uh, younger children do. And step-parents need to take their time getting to know step-kids, just like younger ones do. Oh, and uh, let's put in a, a, a... one little piece that we haven't talked about yet, and that is that step parents and step kids need one to one time together just to get to know each other without the parent present. And that's true in late life step families as well as in uh, earlier life step families. And in my experience, step parents everywhere, all over the world, whether the, and whether the kids are young or young adults or adults, Step parents everywhere want more limits and boundaries for their stepkids, and parents everywhere, no matter how old their kids are, want more love and care for their own children. And this is true for late life couplers as well as younger ones. Uh, well, as you said, the the whole field needs to pay attention to these constellations of families. But I love how you said it at the end because even in in the interview, I was thinking of I was thinking of you know blended families or step families with small children or especially teenagers, which we can think can be the the toughest age group to blend. But no, no matter how old you are, these are the same sets of emotions. They're not bound by age or stage, the same sets of feelings and emotions, um, whether you are younger in life when you divorce and remarry or when you're older. So this idea of the gray divorce, especially with um, the baby boomer population, things like this, I think we will see more of that and, and talking about uh, the effect of recoupling even later in life, it, it certainly has these systemic implications as we've talked about this hour. That is, that is great. So you're still, you're still as passionate. You know, when I talk to model developers as we've been doing this podcast over the last year, it is amazing because even though the, the wrapping is very different on the outside and internally, there is a passion and the same commitment to the level of the work that, you know, you're no less passionate and committed to this now at 73 that you were at 33. I mean, you can really listen to that and hear that in your voice. What keeps you vital in that way? What keeps me vital? You know, I'm always learning. I And everything I learn clinically, I roll into this. So, you know, I started out as a gestalt therapist, which taught me a lot about contact and connection and presence and 
being able to see tiny moments of contact and dis, uh, disconnection. I then had a lot of trauma training. Thank goodness, because in step families, if you have any trauma history, these challenges really hit those old bruises uh, intensely. Uh, and then I had a lot of couple and family training. It, it's all been useful. And of course, more recently is uh, neurobiology and interpersonal neurobiology. Uh, it's a field in which you roll in everything. I've been doing this for four decades and I'm still learning. And that is, that is the key. Thank you so much, Patricia, for your time. Tell us um, if we've talked about the books, if people want to follow you or correspond with you, easiest way to do that. It's really easy to find me because Paper Now is such an unusual name. It looks like Paper Now. If you Google, Google Patricia Paper Now, you'll get to my website, and it's very easy to contact from me from there. And uh, the last two books, Surviving and Thriving in Step-Family Relationships and Step-Family Handbook, are both available on Amazon. Eli, back with you, bringing to a close another informative installment of the AAMFT podcast. Thanks again, Dr. Patricia Papernow. As she says, paper now, P-A-P-E-R-N-O-W. You can find all you need to know about her at stepfamilyrelationships.com. As I said, uh, she is foremost in the field on blended and stepfamily dynamics. Uh, those books we mentioned again during the interview. The first one, uh, the classic in the field, Becoming a Step Family, is Wiley recognized as a classic in the field, and she's written over 30 professional articles and book chapters. Uh, the second book we talked about was Surviving and Thriving in Step-Family Relationships, What Works and What Doesn't. Uh, it's been out a while, but it continues to receive rave reviews from both step-family members and helping professionals. Those, it's one of those books that works both ways, that will help you as a clinician, and it'll help your clients. And the most recent one that she referenced, uh, co-authored with Karen Bonnell, The Step Family Handbook, From Dating to Getting Serious to Forming a Blended Family. That's the book that combines Karen's skills as a post-divorce parenting coach with Dr. Papernell's deep knowledge of the step family dynamics. And it's a really practical, as she said, step-by-step guide that takes recoupling parents and their partners from falling in love all the way to moving to deeper stages of commitment and starting that blended family. Check it out, stepfamilyrelationships.com. And check out us, the AMFT podcast, during these uncertain times with the coronavirus and this global pandemic. One thing that you can count on is the AMFT podcast. We're here, and if you are, podcast listenership is up all across the board, including mental health podcasts. So, we have all of the back installments. All We're into our second season now. So you can go back and listen to great pioneers like Sue Johnson, Chloe Madonez, Bill Doherty, among others, and great deep dives into topics like we talked about today, blended families. Go to uh, AAMFT uh, and you can go to Enhanced Knowledge, the podcast. They're all directly on the page or you can go wherever you get your favorite podcast. I like Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate a review and a star rating. It helps us rise through the ranks of mental health podcasts. Please, we love hearing from you. Getting lots of listener feedback lately? Get a hold of me at info at elikaram.com. That's E-L-I-K-A-R-A-M.com. The AMFT is at 
communications at aamft.org. Follow the conversation on Twitter. Our hashtag is the AMFT Podcast. Also a hashtag stay systemic. My handle is at Dr. Eli Live. And the AMFTs is simply at the AAMFT. Check out amft.org for all the latest as we support you to support uh, countless individuals, couples, and families out there uh, as the pandemic continues. You will see uh, event updates, practice resource, telehealth updates, all your resources for COVID-19. Find out what you need at amft.org. Until next time, my friends, stay systemic.